What's up, Overcomers? Welcome to another episode of the Overcoming You podcast. I am your host, Josh Canuti. Thank you for tuning in once again. If you're new, welcome. Today's episode is on the topic of meditation. Meditation is by far the best thing that I've ever done for myself, period, end of story, zero equivocation. There is nothing that has improved my life exponentially, my happiness, my joy, everything. The benefits of meditation are so vast, and I think the topic is oftentimes misunderstood. But some of the benefits of meditation include, but uh, you know, definitely aren't, aren't limited to, helps you with you know, emotional well-being, lessens worry, anxiety, impulsiveness, lessens stress, fear, loneliness, and depression, enhances self-esteem, self-acceptance, improves resilience against pain and adversity, increases optimism, relaxation, awareness, helps prevent emotional eating and smoking, helps develop positive social connections, it increases and makes the body healthier, improves immune system and energy level, improves breathing and heart rates, reduces blood pressure, more longevity, lessens heart and brain problems, lessens inflammatory disorders, lessens premenstrual and menopausal symptoms. It helps support a better mind and increases mental strength and focus, increases memory retention and recall, better cognitive skills, creative thinking, better decision making and problem solving, better information processing, helps ignore distractions and the benefits go on and on and on. And my guest today is an absolute expert in this field. He has over 30 years of meditation experience. He spent multiple years, I believe he said six or seven years at a meditation retreat. He's been in Tibetan ashrams and he is just a individual with a ton of knowledge on a topic that is muchly needed in today's society and I think often understood. So if you haven't ever meditated before, please listen and he's going to go over some common misconceptions and kind of some tips and tricks. And if you do have a meditation practice, then go and listen because he's going to talk a little bit more in depth in some of the, the ways that he's done it and some other things that he'll, he'll let you know. And make sure to stay tuned all the way until the end because he gives us a little treat and a little bit something extra at the end. So please welcome my guest today, Casey Howe. We're the slave to the mind. You know, if we're having pleasant thoughts, then we feel good. Right. If we're having unpleasant and we feel bad. Yep. So we're in this constant roller coaster. There's no freedom. Life is good, we're good. Life is bad, we're bad. Sure, yeah. A little bit about my background. It's always funny talking about like a spiritual resume. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really just a passion. Actually, starting back where I found meditation, I was... We, I was in a comparative religion class back in high school. I went to a Catholic high school, and I think it was sophomore year, and we, they had us read Siddhartha you know, by Herman S. And I remember reading the words you know, about enlightenment, and I was like, what's that? I, yeah. I want to know what that is. And, and I wanted it, even though even I, don't, I still don't know exactly. If someone said, you know, what's enlightenment? What is that? But I knew that I wanted it, and... I became insatiable. I started checking out just, you know, hundreds of books literally from my local library and on Eastern thought and, and whatnot. And one thing that I noticed is that everything came back to meditation. It didn't matter if you were Gurdjieff and Ospinsky from, you know, the Sufis, Zoroastrianism to didn't matter what, what era, 
you know, what, um, what type of, of thought, what religion, meditation was a real constant. And so I started, started practicing, you know, after some time, I was just kind of practicing everywhere. And I would always try to find the practice manuals. I, w- I didn't really care about dogma, mm-hmm. you know, about this and that. I really wanted the manuals. How do I do yes. it? You know, a lot of the swamis and yogis, they would do these manuals about how to actually do this yourself, you know. That's what it, my main interest was. I wasn't really a scholar, never have been. I'm more of a just, I want to sit. I want to do it. Yeah. And after some time, um, there was a great, magnificent teacher, uh, Parma- Paramahansa Yogananda, you know, many people know him as the author of Autobiography of Yogi, total spiritual classic. And he had these home courses, you know, like three years. You would go through this on your own. And I went through that. And then I wanted to further pursue it. I, I really just wanted to to really get my skill set down. And what I noticed is that I was working I was going to school, I was trying to practice, and I was doing that for like 10 years, and I'm strong, and I felt like, oh, I'm not getting there, you know, (laughs) like, oh, I just, it's just a struggle, you know, I didn't have my tool, I didn't have all the tools, you know, and so I ended up, I was actually a pipe fitter back then, and I finished up my apprenticeship program, and I'd bought a home, and, and all this stuff, and I was still going out with my high school sweetheart, we'd been together for like 14 years, and I left everything. I left. I sold my house. I left. <laughs> I left my the girl. I left the dog, the cats, and I, I ended up going and living at meditation retreat centers. One, the first one was in the Paramahansa Yogananda lineage, all here in the states. But that started six years of of living at meditation centers, because I I just thought you know, this is this is a primary importance of finding inner contentment. You know, nothing else I knew at that point in life, just nothing else is going to gonna do it. And even if all everything comes together, it's impermanent. You know, even if harmoniously all the, all the money and relationships and career and, you know, everything, even if it did come together, then it's not reliable. Yeah. You know, it's not sustainable. But I had enough experience at that time in meditation where I knew he was there. And so I knew... I had found little glimpses, you know, and and I knew that I needed to to find a real distinct path back. So that that changed kind of everything. You know, the first center that I lived at, this group had been meditating. There's about forty people there, and they'd been meditating together every day for about thirty five years. So it was wow. a, an intense group of meditators. Fantastic. How long per day? How long? Well, they'd meditate at least one daily session together, and then, you know, they'd meditate throughout the day on their own, but as a group, they'd come together. So they were an intentional community um, that Paramahansa Yogananda started, so they had been together as an intentional community for that amount of time. And then I was surrounded by these really amazing teachers, you know, for me, that really showed me, you know, how to create the sustainable practice and how to go deeper and whatnot. And, yeah, I moved from there to Tibetan centers. So I lived another four years at Tibetan Buddhist centers, and that was a whole nother level of understanding, you know, what I like about the, the Tibetan Buddhist or, or Buddhism, which this is kind of where I live now, practice-wise, is, yeah. is in Buddhism, is that, man, they've broken everything down. It's like <laughs> it's like it's very, very detailed, you know. Um, I think every path has, you know, every path is the way. 
Right. And um, the one with the the Buddhist is that it's it's extremely detailed. If you're, if you're intellectual, they have that. If you're more devotional, they have that. Um, if you're just if you if you're a scholar, academic, or if you're just really practice based. And so I really fell in love. You know, I really found a home there. And what I also enjoyed too was I kind of found this. Um, more in the Native American practice too, kind of on my way is more of the mindfulness practice. And that's a huge buzzword right now, you know, but I'd always ask all my teachers, what could I do every moment of every day? Like, I don't want my practice to be on the cushion. And Mm. then all of a sudden I'm off my practice, you know, like it has to be every single moment. Like I don't ever want to leave it. Yeah. And they had different techniques, but I wasn't really satisfied with it and you know kind of bring god into your heart type of stuff or or whatnot and i said no i I want that whatever i'm feeling there on the cushion Mm -hmm. and the depths of meditation i really believe that's here for me like right here like if i'm cooking food if i'm going for a walk if i'm working if i'm you know angry if whatever it's got to be right here Mm -hmm. or it doesn't make sense it didn't make sense to me so bringing in in the Buddhist tradition, bringing more of the mindfulness, this moment-to-moment experience, you know, of yeah. aw- awake, just being awake, uh, bringing that into the practice was another huge step. Mm-hmm. You know, I really felt the continuity, you know, because yeah. if the mind, of course, is crazy for 23 hours, you can sit down for an hour and meditate, yeah. and that's great. But sure. And that was the problem that I had when when I was working and all that stuff, you know, I'd meditate for an hour in the morning yep. and then I'd go off into work and I was trying, but I just didn't have the skills, like I said, you know, to, to actually do that. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. for, for myself and the other, other listeners. So when you're talking about on the cushion, can you explain kind of in your own terms, what you're feeling on there that you wanted to bring while you were cooking, wanted to bring in that? Like, what do you, just so everyone knows um, kind of what they're, what you're feeling. I don't think it was a, exactly a feeling, but it was, it was, um, for one, it was the ability to practice, you know, because I, uh, I wasn't seeking, I wasn't seeking necessarily a, a feeling because I knew mm-hmm. those, those changed, but I was seeking the ability to, to deal with what was arising. And, and that's kind of a feeling, you know, that's kind of th- that, like I said, that wakefulness to be able to, to meet the moment consciously. Mm-hmm. And I think that was it. Well, I was, you know, doing these types of practice more from the concentration schools, the mantras, the mantras, the visualization schools, which yeah. are great, but they're not portable, right? They're not something that you can go off the cushion and do like um, an intense deity practice, right. you know, where you're visualizing very intense things. Not not intense, but just very detailed, let's say. But something that you could take with you and make it portable. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as far as the states go or the peacefulness and what you feel inside, you know, that's going to shift and change. But the observer of that, the, the watcher of that, mm-hmm. that's where you're going to find that, that, that home base, you know. So the chaos will remain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the chaos will, will remain, but the ability to stand firm in a, in a place of, of centeredness. And it's not necessarily calm or this and that, but it's just it's an okayness you know, that I have found a place of that I can go within myself mm-hmm. and and find some sort of center, you know, come back home to where I don't need to be drift taken away by this thought, by this emotion. Yeah. 
I, that does not drive me, you know, right. Or yeah, just hook me and take me, you know, I'm here and I could be with you, but not follow you, you know? So one thing that I have noticed in talking with all my friends, so it's the same thing, like I said before, that for me, meditation was the thing that I thought the littlest of before I started doing it. And now it is the thing that I, I will not not do every single day. It's nonstop. It's something I never want to give up. It's something that helps me out so much. You talked about centering yourself. So in my practice, it's just to really focus on the breath, but the whole entire way. And for someone who hasn't meditated before, and at least to me, when I heard that before, it's like, yeah, you're just watching your breath. Like I can breathe, dude. Like what the hell? But then you try to do it, just try to do it for like 10 breaths. And like all of a sudden on breath four, you're thinking about what you have to do the next day and all that different stuff. And so, but literally to think about the breath all the way through to that little tiny pause and then all the way out to the exhale. And what that does, what I connected with what you were saying earlier is that centerpiece. So when I'm out there in the world at the gym or out at, you know, the business meeting or something and something frustrates me, I can just center myself on my breath and kind of just do a little inhale, exhale and kind of like calm myself, the anxiety, the, those like negative thoughts start, start to subside. And then I can kind of, it's, made me center myself easier or more quickly now that I've been able to do the meditation for so so long. So I really connected to what you're saying. So I wanted to kind of break it down and go actually kind of a little bit like step one, basic one, because what I'm understanding is talking to all my friends that it's done so well for me is that they, they have never meditated or they give me a lot of the things that most people have been like, oh, I can't control my mind or my mind wanders like crazy or I don't know how to do it. You know, how do I sit morning, noon, night, all those like things that in the end really don't, doesn't really matter. It just matters about doing it. So whatever works best for you, just do mm -hmm. it there. If you're going to say, I've never meditated before, what advice would you give to me? How would you have me start? What's some things that you would uh, recommend, some tips, tricks or to the person that's never done it before? I, I think the the first one is that the one that I get probably the most, not really a tip, but a myth buster, you know, kind yeah. of a situation is that, you know, I can't meditate. This is one I get all the time. I tell people I teach meditation and probably 90% of the time I could tell you that what's next is I can't meditate. So usually what people mean by that is they can't concentrate and I can't stop my mind. And so the, the big number one myth which hopefully is getting broken, is that you know you don't need to stop your mind <laughs> from yeah. thinking. You know, like your mind's gonna think. So there's a text that says the mind thinks like the the mouth produces saliva. It's like the, what the heart beats. That's what it does. The mind, the mind produces thoughts. Yeah. And you're not responsible for thoughts arising. Thoughts come from nowhere. Nobody knows. Nobody put on an Amazon order or put it in an Amazon order for a thought. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, can I get a thought? Can you make it a really negative one, please? <laughs> you know, it's like they just come, yeah. right? So our responsibility happens or our work. We start going to work when the thoughts arise. So it's our reaction to the thoughts, right? And also, too, in, when the thoughts arise, you know, people think, oh, you know, I can't meditate because I can't hold my mind down on that object. So let's say we're talking about breath. You mm -hmm. know, that's your main object, right? So you're focusing on your breath. Well, you're going to focus on your breath, which is really a, a body sensation meditation. So you're focusing on, let's say, your abdomen, the rise and fall of your abdomen, right, as you're breathing. 
So you're going to be able to hold the mind down on that for maybe, you know, five, 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. And then the mind's going to wander off. When the mind wanders off, that leaves the concentration. So concentration is holding the mind down on the object. Mindfulness is the, not talking about the practice of mindfulness, talking yeah. about the faculty of mind. So we're using concentration and mindfulness. Mindfulness is the watcher. It's the vigilance. It's always watching. Am I on the object or did I leave the object? Mm -hmm. Right? So when the mind leaves the object, at some point, you're, you're going to recognize, I left the object. I left the abdomen. Yep. Right? So then that's the moment of mindfulness. That's also the moment of awakening. Mm -hmm. Like now you're awake because before you were asleep. You were asleep in thought. You're not even conscious, right? Someone could be talking to you, da-da-da. You're right. not there, right? You're lost in thought. Yeah. That's actually the most important piece because that's the moment of like liberation and in, in that that's where our choice comes from. Waking up in that very moment, now you're awake into a moment of choice. I could follow that thought, which we've done habitually for decades, mm -hmm. wherever old you are, yep. or I can come back to my breath, right? Now, that is also the most important piece because this is non-grasping mind, right? There's only one way to suffer, and that's to believe a suffering thought. Mm. We believe a suffering thought because we grasp one thought after another habitually. Yep. We're all thought addicts. Yes. Everybody's a thought addict, right? Yep. So we release that thought. Then we come back to the object. We stay on the object another five or ten seconds. Mm-hmm. We lose it again. The thoughts come up, right? Now, that whole process, staying on the object, getting lost, getting hooked in thought, recognizing that you've been hooked, waking up to that, and moving the mind back, all of that's meditation. Mm -hmm. So people will usually think that it's only when your mind's on the object. And if you're not on it, you're crap, you right. know, like oh, I'm yep. having a crappy meditation. I should just stop. Yeah. I'm having a ton of thought, thoughts and this and that, but it's not, that's not it. That's the whole practice. It's like, if you're going to go shoot some hoops, right. And you practice your shot. You don't count just the ones that go in, mm -hmm. right. As practice, you count them all as practice. Yep. Yeah. Cause you're getting better and Good better. Good analogy. Right. Yeah. So we're practicing though, holding the mind down almost in the beginning. This is not as important you know, is catching ourselves, right? This constant, and this is what's beautiful about about this practice, is like in, in mindfulness, which is taking the moment, mm -hmm. something in the moment as your object, like breath is always happening. You could do this anytime, anywhere, right? You could wake up to like, look it, I'm lost in thought, and you could bring the mind back. Yeah. Now, as Osho said, the mind is a horrible master, but a wonderful servant, <laughs> you know? And usually it's the other, you know, this is it, right? That yeah. we're, we're the slave to the mind. You know, if we're having pleasant thoughts, then we feel good. Right. If we're having unpleasant, then we feel bad. Yep. So we're in this constant roller coaster. There's no freedom. Life is good. We're good. Life is bad. We're bad. Yeah. So we have to wake up. We wake up in the morning asking the mind, how are we today? <laughs> and the mind says, you feel like crap, then you're going to be, crap. you're stuck. Yeah. You know? So that's the muscle. So real quick. So one thing, and let me know your your thoughts. So when I'm doing my meditation and my mind goes away, one thing I've gotten a lot better with 
is that when it goes away, like most people in the beginning or people told me, is that, you know, you start off going, oh, my God, you know, I suck at meditation. I can't can't concentrate, all that type of stuff. But what's happened to me over time is that and through some of your meditations that I've that I've listened to is that my mind will go away and I'll go, OK, my mind left my breath. It's OK. Let's go back. Where is I know that may sound some so insignificant, but. In the first, when I first started doing it, my mind would go away and I would have those thoughts like, oh, you're such a piece of shit. Like you just fully, like you can't meditate. Like what a minute, you can't concentrate. But over time, I just go, okay, my mind left. That's fine. Let's go back to the breath. No big deal. And what I feel that's done in my day-to-day life when I'm not practicing is that when something goes wrong, I don't go how I used to go, which is like, oh, I really messed that up. I'm a piece of, you know what? I go, oh, okay, I messed that up. Let's get back to back to the way. So I feel like that's helped me out in my regular life with those thoughts anyway. Perfect. <clears throat> you, you know, a couple of things. We're, we're looking at our inner world very skillfully, and then there's two major s- skills that we're, that we're utilizing to look within because looking within is uh, dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we don't know what we're going to find. So we don't want to just move in there. Uh, without you know kind of armed if you will right and so we want to use this you want to use it you want to do so skillfully so when when we're looking we're looking non-judgmentally so this is number one so whatever you find is not good not bad right it just is, it just is. and so like you know with those thoughts and and you notice that there's judgment you know at first there's judgment mm-hmm. like even you know self-judgment for for leaving yep. for leaving the breath right and so that's those are another stream of thoughts to be non-judgmental about yeah. so we say don't judge the judging <laughs> right because <laughs> it's just another wave yeah right and that does start to ease you know and so along with that we use kindness and this is not like I'm not saying kindness because it's we're in meditation and we're hippie and no yeah. I'm talking about if you really want to meditate and you want to be able to look within and you want to be able to do so non-judgmentally and you want to do so in a way that's holding what you find long enough so you could see through it mm-hmm. you have to have loving kindness there's no way that we're going to be able to actually be with what is in a non-judgmental way if we don't cult- cultivate the heart you know at some point you're going to meet something probably in the first minute <laughs> yeah. that's going to need some some gentleness. So we're meeting the moment with with tenderness, gentleness, and this is just more of like a hue, you know, kind of like a kind of um, just this, this soft energy. It's like if I'm talking to you, you're a friend, right? Mm-hmm. So like if we're, you know, having coffee, talking or something like this, yeah. Uh, the words that you say, I'm going to meet them with friendliness, you know, some loving friendliness. We're just yeah. friendliness because you're right. my friend, yeah? Yeah. Now, and now there's, there's somebody that I, I don't really enjoy, <laughs> that right. I already dislike, you know? When when they're ha- when they're speaking, I'm already tense. I'm already, I'm, I'm kind of apprehensive and I'm ready to like, oh, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what they're going to say, yeah. right? So there's, there's a sense of aversion already. There's an energy already that's, that has some aversion to it, yeah. Right. So when we're meditating, we're we're meeting things with this this kindness, right? And it softens it automatically, and then non-judgment and whatever whatever is arising is impermanent. So if we don't give it 
judgment, yeah, then it automatically disappears. So we're, we think we need to push everything away, but that's not the case. Everything's already going away. Yeah. So like, how do I get my thoughts to stop? Stop feeding them. You know, you're feeding them your attention and you're fattening them up. Yeah. You know. The other thing that I've been thinking about, like, um, probably the last couple of months is, you know, thoughts are just, they're just thoughts. They're just things. They're not truths. You know, just because I think I don't look good in the mirror, just because I think that doesn't mean I am. They're just like thoughts. And it's how <clears throat> I deal with those thoughts that really matter. It just really seems, and maybe it's just something I've played in my head, but it, for me personally, meditation has really helped me a lot with those looking at the thoughts and figuring out, okay, are they true? Are they false? They're just there. And then just kind of letting them go. Kind of what you talked about it a little bit ago, the observer. I think you said on one of your guided meditations that I, you know, as a thought comes in, look at it as an observer, like just look at it kind of like remove yourself just a little bit and look at it and then see if it serves you or not and then let it dissipate or let it do whatever. Yeah. Which is a lot easier said than done because it happens <laughs> that judgment, at least for somebody in my position with such negative thoughts about myself, which unfortunately a lot of people that I keep talking to are having that as well. So that's why yeah. having you here to hopefully um, help out with at least in this one little area of it. Yeah. It takes a lot of things, but uh, meditation has really, really helped. You know, it's interesting thing with, with thoughts, you know, that, you know, you mentioned, you know, thoughts are just, just a thing, but, you know, actually they're, they're a non-thing, you know, they're, they're, they're a nothing, they're a no thing. <clears throat> it's interesting when we, when we look at what's arising, the things that, that really move us the most are not, there's no substantial characteristics. So like if you take an emotion or a thought, we could break down a thought when you really look for quite a while in meditation, you'll see if you have, let's say we're sitting, there's a table right in front of us here. Like this table is substantial. It has it has a color. It has a shape. It has a place of origin. It has a weight mm -hmm. to it. Um, you know, it's something that we could all, you know, see and feel and all this stuff. But a thought, you know, how much does a thought weigh? Nothing. How much does it feels like it weighs? <laughs> seems like it could weigh way down thousand pounds depending on what yeah, it is right and what do you think gives it that weight what we judge about it what we think about it or the energy that we put into it or how well how important or real it is right so this is quite the epiphany is that in and of itself inherently existing from its own side the thought doesn't weigh anything yeah it's so like what you just mentioned is so true it's what we put on top of it that gives it the weight mm-hmm Right. So there is no weight in the thought. You know, a little baby thought just born. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no weight. If you judge it, then you give it the weight. Or if you think about it multiple times. Well, then you fatten it up. You okay. know, I, I like to put it like almost like you're fattening it up. So, it, you know, when it's born, it's like through repetition, we keep feeding it with our attention. And then, you know, that thought gets the more it comes back, it gets yeah. it gets fatter. It gets it feels like it weighs more. But still, it's still not there there's no texture there's no color there's no shape yeah there, it's not even in a certain location you can't find it you can't say it's as here you know and if you w will would remove your attention from it it would disappear immediately and so let's say for a moment in meditation this is why meditation is so soothing is that mm -hmm. let's say for one moment you're on your breath and for one moment 
you're actually, your attention is on your abdomen contracting and, and subsiding, right? Yeah. And, and expanding. In that moment that your attention is in your ab- at your abdomen, where are all your worries? Nowhere. Non-existent. They're non-existent. Because we can't simultaneously have our attention lost in the thought mm-hmm. and then awake in the present matched with one of the senses. So the senses, that's where we bring our mind to mm-hmm. in meditation, uh, for the most part, in mindfulness. The senses are always in the moment. Right, you can't touch anything from yesterday. You can't taste anything from tomorrow. Like what you're looking right. at, you can look at right here. Right, so the senses are always in the moment. Yeah, right. If we're worried, concerned, this and that, right, that is pulling us away. That's fantasy, you know, pulling us away from from the actual moment. Right. So, if we're caught in worry, concerned, bringing ourselves back to this. This moment, which is singular, mm-hmm. there's no stress in the moment because there's only one thing going on. Right. Stress me- needs two opposing forces, how it is and how you want it to be. But we come back and we merge back with the moment. There's, n- there's no stress because there's only yeah. one thing going on. So you come back here and now you're with reality. And the Buddha was cool in that he only hung out with reality. That was his whole thing. Mm-hmm. There was no belief. Then there's no belief in Buddhism, maybe 10%, like the Dalai Lama says, 10% religious, but 90% of Buddhism is psychology, and it's just hanging out with what's real. Back before meditation was popular, people think I was crazy, you know, like, <laughs> oh, you're that weird meditating guy. Yeah. Like, I was like, you're weird. You're in fantasy. You think you're going to be late. You know, like driving people say, oh, I'm going to be late. I'm stressed out. That's a fantasy. You might not, never, you might not even make it there. Your car might break down. Yeah, because you don't know. You don't even know. What's real is that you're at a stoplight, breathing, holding onto a steering wheel. Yeah. That's real. It's virtually impossible to be depressed, have anxiety, have be unhappy if you're thinking about the present, i.e. the overwhelming negative thoughts or depression or anything that I've went through always had to deal with worrying what I did in the past or what I'm about to do or want to happen in the future. And mm-hmm. it was constantly, that's all I lived in. I either lived in the past, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I said that, or shit, I wish I would have said that, or in the future, you know, oh, I need to get this or need to need to get that, you know, all the, the consumption type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Kind of what I alluded to earlier, when I take that deep breath or when I center and go, kind of all that stuff kind of seems to, like, subside, you know, just kind of brings me back to the present, and then I can kind of go on with whatever issues in front of me. So it just seems like, the more we can live in the now, which I know is kind of a weird terminology or something like that, I think the less stress, depression that we have going forward. Said something, so kind of we talked about like those fat thoughts. It starts off as a little baby thought and then we kind of pile it on, we make it bigger. If someone has those fat thoughts, what would be some of your recommendations on how to thin them out or put them on a diet or, or eradicate them or whatnot? Because I think a lot of us are struggling with that. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a good point. Is that, you know, I want to make it clear, you know, when when I'm talking, that this might sound like I'm saying you should be able to let like those really fat thoughts come and go and this and that. And that's not the case. Is that we're working up to that. Mm-hmm. You know, some people say, well, you know, I tried meditation and it just didn't work for me. And you know, I'll ask him, well, when'd you do it? Well, my 
wife and I had a really bad fight and I went down to meditate and I couldn't do it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's probably not the best time. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's an important note too. Like if there's a, there's a trauma or something like this, this is not something that you just want to kind of dive into and, and bring that, bring that up. So those are the really heavy thoughts. And, mm-hmm. um, there's a beautiful, um, amazing Tibetan teacher, Garchen Rinpoche. And I love the way he puts it. He says, our awareness is like a flame. So our awareness that's looking at these thoughts and our awareness is, is able to burn up the, the small twigs, like these small thoughts, like I have to go get toothpaste, you know, mm-hmm. and where did I put the whatever, you know, yeah. this and that. Those thoughts in meditation, our awareness is able to burn those up, right? And so you can let those thoughts come and go. Right. And the fire of our awareness is burn is getting stronger, and more and more with meditation, the more it burns up, it gets stronger and stronger. Now, in life, there's going to be these logs that come, mm-hmm. and they're going to snuff out our flame of awareness, right? Yeah. And so we're going to have we're going to have those things. And so the technique for for this is is multiple. The one that I like to use is that um, do in short spurts. Okay. So if if you're gonna take these on these these bigger thoughts, see if you could allow them to come and go, right? And just notice that you're taking refuge in your awareness, non-judgmental awareness, and kindness. And so you're here, and recognize that you're here before that thought comes, as that thought is abiding, and when that thought leaves, right? Mm-hmm. So that part of you that that is steadfast, you're anchoring into that. And if you could do that for maybe do a 15-second meditation, a 30-second meditation, and then if it grabs you, you know, if you get caught and you start Mm -hmm. to think and start believing it and this and that, you know, you might need to do Netflix meditation or eat ice cream meditation. (laughs) Oh, what do you mean? What I mean is there's sometimes when you got to go into distraction, Mm. right? So honor your coping mechanisms as long as they're not really harmful. Okay. Yeah, because there's things that the reality is they're things that we just have to take a little bit at a time, and sometimes you need to get through the day. Mm-hmm. And if you need to zone out and watch something, if you need to eat something, you call a friend, you go for a walk, right? Mm-hmm. And then when that thing comes up, you could come back into yourself, look at it for a few moments, yeah. watch it come and go, right? See if you could be with this just for a moment, right? And then it, you're just going to get stronger. It's just like running a marathon. You know, mm-hmm. you don't run a marathon. You you go for a walk, you know, and yeah. then you go for a one mile, then a two mile, Yeah. you know. And another one, too, is walking meditation is really nice, too. You know, so sometimes we can't do sitting meditation, especially those suffering from anxiety and whatnot, yeah. is is do walking meditation. So the object in the of your meditation becomes your body walking. So this is a very common practice. It's just as valid as a sitting practice. Mm -hmm. Feel your feet hitting the ground. Feel your hips moving. Feel the flex of the muscles, you know, as you're walking. So when the thoughts are racing, the body is moving slower than the mind. You bring bring your attention into the body, into the muscles, into that sensation. And go for a walk. I think this is where pacing kind of came from. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like from this walking meditation, you know. The very first session I ever had with a therapist, I just, I have to give 
hats off to her. She is so incredible. She saw that I didn't want to be there. She saw that I didn't want to talk to her. I didn't want to do all that type of stuff. And she literally said, it was like 10, 15 minutes. She, you know, when you can just tell someone just like, dude, you do not want to fucking be here. Yeah. You know? And she's like, you do not like me. Uh, something's going on, all that type of stuff. And she's like, she's like, where do you live? I said, Oh, I live over here in Newport Beach. She's like, um, can you get to the beach at all? Or can you get outside? Do you have a like woods? I was like, well, I'll have the back bay, you know, right over there. And she's like, if you can go out there for just five minutes, if you walk with sandals or like if you walk barefoot, even better, and then just look at your feet as you walk and just do that five, 10 minutes. And then, you know, just call me next week. And if you want to come back, great. If not, no worries. And Perfect. I'm like, that is so stupid. Yeah. And I went out there and literally I took my shoes off and because there's all these rocks and everything like that, I didn't real I realize it now looking back, but that was a form of meditation because I had to watch where I was placing my foot. And so I had to be in the now, I had to be in the present, you know, just a little bit of time, but I got out in nature, I got out and focused on, on that. It was like, oh, I think there's something to it. And I literally <laughs> felt better because I didn't want to be there. I already, I already felt like I kind of messed up. I already felt like, oh, I'm so weak that I need someone's help, all that type of stuff. And right. But after I did that, you know, just walking, that walking meditation, I did it with my shoes off in the little path there. I felt so much better. Mm -hmm. so much better instantly it was one of those things where it's like i felt like i i don't know felt like did a did a drug or something like that just real quick i was like whoa this feels great yeah you know and so it was so interesting and i yeah. give my i've said that quite a few times on other episodes but that was just one of the single best thing that got me really into starting my meditation practice and stuff like that yeah so it's you know, so, so anything cool. that breaks that that chain you know of worry and that incessant thinking and, and yeah. whatnot so yeah bringing that focus you know, to your feet just psh, kind of breaks that chain. Yeah. And there's a common misconception holding down, down your thoughts. What are some other things that you hear a lot of that's probably really, really big as far as like, you know, does that have to be morning? Does that have to be night? Do I have to, do I have to sit like that picture with my fingers in a certain position? Does it, does the same place matter? And then I, I do believe posture matters, but you know, I want to go through first, what are some things that you hear a lot that, really doesn't matter. It's really kind of what works best for you. Because I know for me, I was really rigid. Like, okay, I had to be at this time. I had to sit like this and I felt uncomfortable. And then I was talking to people like you and some of the people they are like, no, oh, man, just, just do whatever works best for you, dude. Like don't even worry mm -hmm. about it. Just start sit, sit on your head, <laughs> you yeah. know, wear one sandal. <laughs> I don't care what you do. You just start do 30 seconds and then, you know, all that type of stuff. So yeah. what are some things, some common misconceptions similar to that? I work a lot with time and, and posture. I, I think one thing that, you know, people think we need to meditate for a long time. You know, I, I think a five minute meditation is great. You know, I, I have a 30 day, uh, I think I gave yep. to you, yep. right? It's just five great. minutes. I, I created this 30 day mindfulness thing where I would go and speak and whatnot. And people will say, great, you know, what do I do? And then it's every day for 30 days and you just meditate for five minutes. And sometimes in my courses, I'll give I'll give people their assignment that every single day for you know the first six weeks you have to do at least one conscious breath, mm -hmm. and they'll laugh like of course I'm going to do that and then they forget to do that. And yeah. I said I told you I'm building. <laughs> I want you to be consistent. You know, so you yeah. have to do one conscious breath and and so you know starting out really small and and at least doing something mm -hmm. every day is super important until you just get in the habit right yeah and then the thing with posture too yeah absolutely not there's nothing holy about sitting on the ground 
like you don't need to sit on the ground absolutely the spine being straight you want to be held up by your skeleton mm-hmm. right so if you're sitting on a chair if you're sitting on the floor this is an important part because if your muscles are holding you up then then you're going to have some strain mm-hmm. right and if you have your hips above your knees it's kind of hard because we're on audio here but if you're sitting and your butt is higher than your knees you're going to do fine so if you visualize yourself sitting in a chair and you know if you ha- if the chair is too small your knees are going to be up right okay. and you're going to be like in a v so you put a cushion underneath your butt put your butt up now your spine can balance on uh your pelvis yeah right and then you, you it'll have a point of balance and then you won't be you won't be straining anymore right. there's an energetic aspect to that too there are certain energy channels that are awakened in meditation and you want those to to flow freely mm-hmm. um so there's there's that aspect too you could lie down and meditate obviously that's difficult because people fall asleep yep um but you could rest one elbow down at your side with your hand up and then if you do fall asleep your hand's going to fall down oh that's a trick <laughs> good good um so yeah time and then and then posture okay you know are really big and then I should have a quiet mind that I yeah. brought up before. Like yeah. my mind should be totally quiet and that would be like, you're an alien, mm-hmm. you know? Right. You ever so. done any of those uh, float tanks? I haven't yet. No? No, I heard they're great. Yeah. I love them. I love yeah. them. I don't, I'm, I do them often, but not as often as I, as I like, because just the times that they're open, it's a little, little bit difficult. But yeah. Yeah. I brought a few of my buddies over there and you know, it's an hour long and, and looking back, it's like, taking somebody that doesn't know how to swim and just throwing them in the deep end, like gone, you know? So I didn't realize that, but because, you know, I, it worked well for me. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. It's going to be awesome. You know? And they both came out of there and go, what am I supposed to do in there (laughs) for an hour? Totally bored. (laughs) Yeah. Like my mind's go crazy. So yeah, I like those things. And then what are some, maybe some expectations that you hear a lot from people saying, Hey, you know, I, I hope to get this out of meditation or I want to get this or, What's your kind of answer to that, a reply or rebuttal or? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a tough thing because uh, expectation is, you know, a death to, to meditation. And, and you know, as soon as we have that energy of expectation, then we're no longer meditating because we're not doing it. We're yep. thinking, you know, it's kind of like a diet where you're checking the scale every mm-hmm. day. Like, did I lose weight? Did I lose weight? Is this working? Is this working? And that's like moment to moment expectation so then i'll talk about like long-term expectation moment to moment expectation you want to work watch out for that and if you have a good meditation that's really bad too because then you want one you want a good meditation the next day Mm. you know so i look at it like a runner's high like a runner's high how do you get a runner's high you run (laughs) (laughs) right and you're gonna have some meditations where the meditation begins to meditate you you know and you're not you're not striving, you're not trying to focus, you're just present, you're there, and it could be a really blissful experience. But what we're attempting to do about the expectation is that we want to be comfortable with all mental experiences. We're not trying to go into a blissful experience. You Mm. know, we can go take a drug for a blissful blissful experience, but those blissful experiences are temporary as well. So those are going to fall off too. So what we're looking for in meditation is this more reliable, sustainable contentment, you mm-hmm. know, not this bliss state. So the Buddha talked about the middle way, but it's also this 
this equanimity is a better way to put it. When my emotions are chaotic, I'm okay. Those are my emotions. We yeah. say my emotions. Well, who's the my that owns the emotions? Me. When you're, yeah, yeah, who's me, right? When I'm not caught in thoughts because I say my thoughts. When my thoughts are crazy, well, the my, like who owns those thoughts? You're not crazy. The thoughts are crazy, right? Yeah. You own the thoughts. So we're getting back into this this just kind of true self, right? And so this true self can be okay in the chaos, right? When things are good and when things are not so good. So the expectation is to find this place, this, this centered home, yeah. you know? And the way that we do that is a subtraction problem. We're so used to like, I'm going to, you know, read more, do more, get mm. this thing and get, get, get. And then we bring that into meditation and meditation exact is the exact opposite. Meditation it's, is non-doing. It's the great non-doing. Yeah. Right. It's actually stopping. It's getting somewhere from by going nowhere. It's the realization that you already are what you're seeking. Right. So th- all of these things are yeah. extremely um, counterintuitive mm-hmm. in our society. Like, how can we get that if we don't do anything? Right. You know? But the more that we don't do, which is, again, just that one non-grasping mind, right? Of like, oh, I need to even do my meditation right. Like, mm-hmm. You know, am I doing it right? That's another thought just to let come and go. Yeah. You know, how could you be you if I say be Josh? How can you not be Josh? It's the only, only thing I know. Yeah. And some people not, might not know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you say, you know, it's be true. you. Well, what do I do? You know, that's kind of the reaction is like, I got to do something, you know. Yeah. But here we have to be something. And what do we have to be? What we already are. But we're so busy chasing after this, this, and this. We've forgotten how to turn inward. We've forgotten how to be ourselves. Yeah. We think we're our thoughts. How silly is that? We're this like invisible thing that comes and goes. Yeah. You know, we think we're our emotion. I'm angry. That's so weird, really. Yeah. How could you be angry? If you were angry, if you were anger, when anger went away, you would go away. Yeah. You know, you're not your anger. You know? If I hit my finger with a hammer and I say my body, right? And then I hit my finger and then I don't. I could say, oh, the finger's in pain, but if the this, this sensation becomes strong enough, I'll say something like, I'm in pain. Yeah. Like, I'll self, self-identify with the sensation. Right. Right? And so that's when the suffering happens, you know? The pain, the pain, not a problem. Yeah. You know? Pain times resistance equals suffering, you know? And it's that resistance that that is that we're working with, you know? Because this non-judgmental presence of mind is automatically non-judgmental. You know, consciousness is automatically non-judgmental. Right. Have you looked into some of the, like, actual physical benefits or physical health? The reason I say that, I've been reading some studies, and they're saying how, you know, with over eight-week time period with semi-consistent basis, you know, you can get the prefrontal cortex actually thickens a little bit, and then the amygdala will actually kind of lessen yeah, I, I think I think the science is great. You know, I think that if our left brain, right brain is is on board, like whatever gets us to practice, and and you know if that if that does it, then that's wonderful. There's a, there's lots of science coming out. I think that's why meditation is so popular now. Mm-hmm. Is probably one of the one of the big reasons is you know John Kabat Zinn, who is a, who was a, 
MIT you know, scientist, and he started MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And like when you mentioned that eight-week course, yeah. m- most of the studies are based upon you know that course, um, you know, which I facilitate, and it's a wonderful course. And the, the, the science, you know, one there's just so much. I think some of the ones that that I really like is you know the cortisol levels draw. They actually balance themselves out. So the cortisol levels, that's the stress hormone. Yeah. You know. So what's interesting is that people think that no matter what, you know, if we're stressed out, then the cortisol levels are are high and meditation brings them down. But what's also fascinating is that if you have PTSD, for example, the cortisol levels actually go up. They're actually too low. And when you meditate, they actually go back up. Mm. So it'll actually balance balance them out. And another study is the the telomeres. So there's a sheath on the end of the chromosomes. And this is how they study aging. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the factors that study aging and is is that the sheath these these telomeres erode and in meditation not only do they stop eroding but they start growing back and longtime meditators are a full twelve years younger physiologically than oh, their wow. chronological age no way yeah so some of these these testing points you know and wow. that's one of them um, the DHE level DHEA uh, they increase in meditation. So this is the youth, the youth hormones, kind of like opposite of the cortisol. The youth hormone, those increase. Uh, women over the age of 45, it increases by 43%. Really? Yeah, it's just quite amazing. I think for men, we the short end of the stick, I think it's like 27%. Mm-hmm. So th- there's that. There's you know tons of cognitive you know tests and and this and that heart tests and so i re- i recommend people if you're of that mind and if that's going to stimulate you for practice mm-hmm. you know by all means research that out you know research out um, these studies there's wonderful studies now yeah and and books and stuff yeah okay cool i have uh, two more questions but I can't believe it's already been an hour but before i get to them actually one request and sorry to um dump it on you but i think it'd be really good for the listeners but before i get to those two can you tell everybody where they can find you you helped me out a lot but that 30-day uh, meditation that you sent me really really was cool it was short it was really really easy for a person just starting because it was real short to the point especially in that first probably five or seven of them it's been a while since i've done it first five or seven of them you you address those concerns and those misconceptions like maybe 17 seconds in on the first one, you're like, all right, well, your mind probably wanted already. So, hey, why don't you come back or, you know, obviously do it in a really good way. So it's really, really beneficial. What else you got going on or what else uh, you got coming up? Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, you could find me the easiest way is my website and my Instagram. And they're both my name. So I spell my name funny, C-A-Y-C-E, Casey, and then last name H-O-W-E. So my website is CaseyHow.com. And then I'm at Casey Howe on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this and you want to reach out, please DM me or just message me. I love to actually really, you know, connect with people, not just have followers. And stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, just people do that. They don't ever really connect. I really like to connect. So yeah. Yeah, send me a message. That'd be awesome. You will find on the website that 30-day program is okay. on there. So cool. you could find that there. Okay. I am excited. I've been working, you know, for quite a while collecting these. If you go to my Instagram, you'll see that I write poetry. I'm really into reflective writing as part of a meditation tool, and mm-hmm. I teach this as well. And so my first, it's a poetry book, but there are a lot of pointers, actually. They're, they're pointing to 
inventations, if you will, okay. and pointing to different aspects of mind. So like little minute, they're little little mini meditations. Oh, cool! Yeah, and and they're very short and really to the point, inviting the reader to look at maybe that aspect of their own being. Very you know, cool. In these different in these different ways. So it's called becoming water. Okay. And yeah, you could find that on on my website and and on it's going to be on Amazon too. It's launching this month. So. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. That's Wonderful. awesome. Yeah. Cool. So one request and then one question, and not to be questions about myself, but not to be narcissistic, but just wondering. So when you first met me, and they've the listeners have heard some of the dark dark times I went through and all that type of stuff, but just to remind everybody, it was definitely through the darkest time in my life by far. And I was at a uh, treatment center, um, TMS. I still want to see if I can get uh, Dr. Eppley on to talk about TMS. Yeah. It was super beneficial. Um, but did you notice a difference from the first day you met me to the last day? And it's okay if you didn't. And I didn't prep you for this or anything like that. But did you, I know we don't spend, or we didn't spend a lot of time, but it was a lot of miniature times together. So yeah, I didn't yeah. know if you, did you see a difference in me? Yeah. What did you see different, or what did you feel to explain it? Yeah, yeah, I I definitely saw a, a difference in you, and you know I am familiar with, you know I do see this quite often. You know I see people that like yourself, that you know you came into the treatment and you were open, and you were available. I, I knew that you were going to do the work, mm-hmm. and if someone's going to do the work, uh, you know along with TMS and do the meditations and stuff like this, I'm like, well, there's like an eighty percent chance they're going to get better. And, and yeah, I mean, I think it's, I've, you know, f- for me, I've been in the mental health world for about five years now, and I could look at somebody in two or three seconds, and I could tell you where they are in the scale <laughs> of depression, and it's something yeah. that you carry in your body, it's something that you see in people's eyes, it's, uh, you know, it's how they, the the cadence of their speech, and, mm-hmm. and, and all those things, so, so yeah, I think you know with you just you know a, a lighter a lighter attitude, a more free flowing attitude, yeah. um, a, li- a lighter feel, and of course, the actual words chosen, you know, are much more positive. You mm. could you could hear people's you, their, their word choice starts to change. Yeah, you know, um, and then of course with you, you had you were so dedicated, you know, to the practice, which I think is phenomenal. Like when you feel really down. And this is another thing about meditation that it's difficult. And when you need it the most is when you feel down and mm-hmm. it's the hardest to practice. It's hard anyway, you know? Yeah. So I really hand it to you because you kept it up even though you felt really bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, was... and, and it paid off. And you, But you put in the work and, and that's why you felt the fruit of the practice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely what you get get out of it. But the others had another guest on. They said a kind of a cool little way. You know, you go to the gym and you literally rip those muscles apart, and it's about what you put inside. It's about the nutrition. You can't go to the gym, do a great CrossFit workout or Muay Thai or whatever, and then go eat donuts and, and ice cream and expect to feel good or muscles increase and all that type of stuff. So when you're going through whatever you're going through, keep putting that good that good stuff back in. You know, and for I met you at the TMS um, treatment center, which I've talked about on the other podcast. But that's just one thing, and then the meditation is just one thing. But it's all that brain being the analogy of the muscle. It's all that good stuff going back, 
back in and constantly feeding that good stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because there's no use in doing the doing the work if you're just you know there's no use in going to the gym if you're not going to um, you know put the good stuff in. Yeah, I so. actually had about my whole family's riddled with anxiety, and I had about an eight month bout of severe anxiety, and and you know with anxiety you just have this stream of horrible thoughts, you know. Yeah. And so what I did was I told them no, and <laughs> <laughs> said no, and I'm not going to listen to you. Instead. I recorded myself. I put a loop of all the opposite of what my mind was telling me, you know, I put a loop on and then I just put that in my ear all day and talk about feeding yourself. I just fed myself all day. I was like, okay, you know, crazy monkey mind, you're going to go ahead and do that. And then I'm going to have this loop going in. And I even bought the soft headphones Mm. to wear at night. You get these soft headphones and I'd play that loop all night long. Wow. And I just said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to you. So that, that would be the extreme if like, you can't right. get the thoughts to go away. That's as extreme as I went to being like, yeah, you know, the Buddha would say like with really strong thoughts that won't go away. The one of the final methods, if like mindfulness doesn't work and thinking of the opposite doesn't work, you know, he said like, like all of your goddessness or godness, like mm-hmm. all your I amness, all, all of your like, your your power like your spiritual power you just say no yeah like psychically no he's like and you pull that thought like like pulling a tooth from a jawbone he says i was like no that's just it. rip it out like, yeah if nothing else works it's like yeah. it's like opposite of mindfulness it's that opposite of like let it in let it out it's like full aversion it's like nope right i've had enough you know so okay. yeah i had those thoughts and i was like nope nope no more no more so for my request, and sorry to uh, dump it on you, but I wanted to see if you could take us through maybe a one or two minute meditation here and now. And so the listeners, obviously I'll do it. I get the luxury of being in person with you, but it'll be just a little taste, however long you want to do it, two, one minute, two minutes, five minutes, however you see fit. It's up to you. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's do it. Sweet. So don't do this while you're driving, if you're driving, listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, so we're not going to be meditating that long, so it doesn't matter about posture. Okay. So just move into any posture that feels comfortable for you at this time. And allowing your eyes to close. And it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter if you're in a busy place. It doesn't matter if the kids are screaming, dogs are barking. If you're in the, on the side of the road or busy streets, doesn't matter. Simply just wake up to what is happening in your now. So that part of you that knows that you're there, that you're breathing, that your heart is beating. Just that wakefulness. And meeting that moment with non-judgment. So everything that you hear, feel, see in your mind's eye Letting everything in 
letting everything out. Nothing is good, nothing is bad. Notice how everything is arising, staying for a moment, and falling away, all on its own. And then holding on to this wakefulness, allowing your eyes to open, and as you do so, see if you can nice and gently look around your environment and hold on to that same wakefulness, the same non-judgment. Maybe like you're looking at these things for the very first time. Because you are. It's a brand new, fresh moment. You've never been here before. Thank you. Cool, ma'am. Cool. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for your insights. I could talk to you. I have a million questions. I could have you on a million more times. And uh, oh, hopefully in yeah, the love future, to come back. hopefully in the future, I have you on and um, go a little bit deeper. And because we just did the uh, first few steps. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for going through that sure. meditation. We already told everybody where they can find you, but I'll put everything in the show notes so they cool. uh, know all that type of stuff, and we'll go. Yeah, there. thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone who's listening. Thank you for listening, and and if if you think you can't meditate, I think you can. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I also do private sessions for all those people you think, oh, I can't meditate. Yeah. Definitely reach out to me. I do private sessions, which is my favorite thing to do. Okay, cool. you go really deep with people, and you know work customized and stuff so but awesome. um but really believe in yourself have spiritual self-confidence yes I call it yeah. yeah absolutely so thank you cool all right everybody don't forget remember be kind to yourself see ya <laughs>